Welcome to Go Get Great, the podcast for aspiring entrepreneurs and ambitious small business owners. I'm your host, Brittany, owner of Brittany Miller Socials and mother of three. Go Get Great is all about helping you make life and business work together. You'll learn about the fumbles that helped get me and my guests to where we are today so you don't have to make them. So come join the journey with Go Get Great. So good morning, everyone. Today, I am joined by Elle Krevitz. She is a business advisor with the Small Business Enterprise Center, or SBEC for short. She is very skilled at helping businesses get started, and she's actually the reason that I'm sitting here today. (laughs) She encouraged me to apply for a grant to start Brittany Miller Socials in January of 2022, and then coached me through my first few months as I was getting started as well. So I owe a lot of my immediate startup success to her, but I'm going to let her introduce herself a little bit more now. That's not true. You get your own success. <laughs> um, hi, everybody. My name is Elle Kravitz. Um, I am a senior business advisor with the Small Business Center. As well, I own a co-working space called The Atrium, um, which is a business that I purchased uh, earlier in, in the, within the last year anyways. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to work with entrepreneurs in different ways and excited to have this conversation today too. Yeah. So even before you owned the atrium and started working at SBEC, you've had your own businesses before. Yeah, I've had a few actually. I was thinking about it. I've been in business for about eight years. Um, I've had three different businesses. The first one was not a good business idea, but it was a lot of fun and it told me, it taught me a lot about what you can create and that any idea you can turn into reality as long as you're willing to work hard. Mm. Uh, so that business was around uh, recovering food waste, actually. Oh. Um, so lots of people don't know about this. This was a while ago. <laughs> and uh, But it was um, one of my first businesses and one of my first biggest failures. So we might circle back to that. But yeah. uh, I moved from there into uh, teaching sourdough bread making. Uh, it was a business that I did in person and it lit me up. But uh, the pandemic hit and I had to move that one online. And you know what's not fun about making bread? trying to do it online. <laughs> so everybody told me to go online. Everybody told me to start a bakery. None of those things felt right for me. And so ultimately I walked away from that business and then moved into this role with the Small Business Center, which I just loved. And then the opportunity sort of came up to just buy this business, this co-working space. And it was a full body yes um, that made me just jump all in, even though I didn't really know co-working. <laughs> um, but it's been an absolute awesome fit with who I am and what I'm, where I'm headed. So yeah. Okay. That's great. And uh, you've done amazing things with the atrium since you've had it. So I'm excited to see what you have on board. (laughs) Um, So share with us a little bit, since you have so much experience having your own businesses and working with entrepreneurs, what do you recommend as the first step for someone that's looking to start a business? Because not everyone jumps into a pre-existing business. Yeah, absolutely. And and this was my first time jumping into a pre-existing business, Mm -hmm. but Um, You know, when you're starting out, I think people often think they need a business plan. And it's sort of this thing that holds people back from getting started because they're like, well, I don't know how to write a business plan, so I'm just not going to do anything. Um, And, you know, you don't really need a formal business plan. Like, I never had a formal business plan for any of my businesses. I, like, I had a loose plan. Mm -hmm. I call it like a... Uh, I've thought it through plan. (laughs) But the thing that I think people really need when they're starting up is a cash flow, Mm -hmm. is a really to map out the numbers because, you know, a business plan can be many things as long as you have a plan to kind of that's realistic and that's grounded in where you are right now. That's the key. Um, You know, you can't just imagine, you know, jumping from here to having a commercial building and 10 staff and all of these things. Like it's too much of a leap from where you are. So Mm -hmm. having a thought it through plan, having that cash flow is key. 
And all of your great ideas that you have are probably really expensive. So add it up. <laughs> like do the math and be like, okay, how much does this actually cost to, to do? Mm-hmm. Um, how much does it cost to actually hire people? How much does it cost to actually have a commercial building? Um, and, you know, I, I've said this before and I get this line from Profit First, which is uh, businesses are money eating monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, so they will find a way to spend every dollar you have. Um, and so you really need to then think about like, do your revenue streams cover that cost? Um, because sometimes, you know, they really don't. <laughs> and so it's better to know that before mm-hmm. you start than to find out after you've invested a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really the number one thing. And then I also think, too, we have this has this, like, tendency, especially women, especially new businesses, to have a – and it's funny because you just said this, but, like, have a break-even plan, right? It's like, no, the goal is not to break even. <laughs> we want to be filthy, stinking rich. Like, yep. so we need more than a break-even plan. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do we get past – of that idea of like staying small and just figuring out just just enough to get by right like mm-hmm. no fuck that sorry I don't know <laughs> if I can swear on your podcast <laughs> sure that's fine <laughs> um you know and I think the main question to make sure that you are gonna have a, a profitable plan mm-hmm. is that you are looking at covering your labor costs mm. because any entrepreneur will tell you that they quit their nine to five to work 24 <laughs> 7 welcome to entrepreneurship <laughs> yep <laughs> But yeah, I think that's like the number one thing when getting started. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then I think too, with having a cash flow plan or having that bit of a financial plan, and, and I want to kind of demystify cash flows. I'm going to back up for a second, but you know, a cash flow really should tell the same story as a business plan. Mm-hmm. If you say you want to like have this awesome marketing plan, well, all those awesome marketing plans have a cost associated. So that'll show up on your cash flow. You know, expanding will show up as a cost and as a revenue increase. Like, the story is the same on both. So you can write that in whatever way you want. Like start a Google Doc. It can be a page long. It doesn't have to be super complicated. Like it really doesn't. And the more you can like keep the structure simple, um, the better. But if you can put all your ideas in one place, um, that's the number one thing. So the number one mm-hmm. thing people do when they're making this plan is they overestimate the number of customers they can get. It's really hard to get a customer. It's so hard. Yeah. And I think it's harder too if you have like a a service-based business, especially if you don't have a storefront because there isn't something immediately drawing people's eye and attention. It's really all about how you market your business. And if you're not out there shouting it from the rooftops, no one's going to know you exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, everybody always says, oh, word of mouth is going to help me. Okay. Word of mouth is not a plan. It's not even an activity you do for marketing. It is the result of what you do, right? Yeah. And I say this all the time, over and over and over again, because it's a hope and a prayer. Word of mouth is a hope and a prayer. And it's what we all aspire to, Mm -hmm. but it's nobody else's job to let people know that your business is out there and that you're growing and expanding and looking for clients. Like Mm -hmm. that is your job. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, nobody's coming to save you. (laughs) No, they are not. Uh, That being said, there are a lot of free marketing tools that you can use when you're first getting started. Totally. So, you know, utilize your connections and that will be a little bit word of mouth, but not necessarily. And then social media is a great option too. But one of the things that I wanted to mention while you were talking about this, you're talking about cash flow and figuring out, you know, what your startup costs are. And really, because I'm helping someone do this right now, really talking to someone that does what you want to do, mm-hmm. or at least very similar when you're first getting started is a really great eye opener to talk about all of their unexpected costs when they were getting started and all the things that you don't think about. 
I was trying to help this person put a business plan together. And, you know, who knew that getting security cameras for your business was going to be $2,500. And it just all of those things that seem so tiny and insignificant add up to huge costs for your business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like, you know, every day I have a great idea for the co-working space for the atrium. And... You know, I'm like, you know what? I really don't need to spend that money on that because, again, businesses are those money-eating monsters. Mm -hmm. There will always be things I can spend more money on. Like, I can always have more desks, better chairs, faster internet, whatever. Like, there's no limit to, like, what I could continue to invest in. Mm -hmm. Um, But I could invest away all of my profits also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that's why there's such a high rate of failure for small businesses because we all feel compelled and, you know, kind of influenced by the media to some expect too, that you have to keep investing all of your profits. Well, no, you have to pay yourself. Otherwise your passion is never going to turn into anything more than a hobby. Well, and the number one thing too, is like people get really excited about having the like big shiny restaurant or a little cafe that's so cute and, you know, has all the, the fixings. But, you know, you really need to, if you want to be in business, you really have to get focused on customers because no revenue, no business. Um, so I think that's the number one thing. And that, that circles back to like, how do you get customers? Cause getting customers is so hard and there's lots of great free tools out there mm-hmm. to help you get started. But I think the one thing people underestimate is that you're not just trying to get some, get a customer once you actually, what you really want to do is you want to think about that lifetime value of the customer. You want to build a relationship with them because that's way easier to sell to somebody twice than it is to get a first-time customer. Mm-hmm. So if you are just, you know, selling candles and you set up at a market and you sell your candle and you have no way to follow up with that customer to continue that relationship with them, mm-hmm. that's really where you're making it harder for yourself. And so like for you and for I, like we're in service-based businesses. So that's really where, you know, those relationships are so valuable and mm-hmm. and you don't need a lot of customers actually to be really successful in those spaces. You know, mm-hmm. you need like 50 customers to have a really great business in mm-hmm. in what we do. So I think keeping that in perspective too, because we we often put this emphasis on like showing the world and being on Instagram and having this really live big thing. But really the heart of our business, what keeps the blood pumping in our business, which is code for money, <laughs> uh, you know, is our customers and, and staying focused on them too and not getting caught up in the like, I should have this, I should do that, I should be more it's you're enough right and and Mm -hmm. just focus on those people you're serving yeah and if you can add really good value to your customers that's where your word of mouth advertising comes in absolutely so if we were to create not a business plan but a very thought through plan (laughs) aside from the financial aspect of it what are some of the things that are really crucial Yeah, I think that marketing piece. So again, I always like to say like people have to know about you to buy from you. They have to like you to buy from you and they have to trust you to buy from you. And you can lose people at all of those stages. Mm. Um, So marketing, again, is about like, you know, if you need 50 customers to make your business epic and awesome, um, you need to be in front of like 500 people to get those 50 customers. So mm-hmm. how are, how the heck are you going to get in front of 500 people? Because that's the number one thing people get shy about or, or pull back from, right? They're like, oh, I posted on social media and I have 500 followers. Therefore, I got in front of 500 people. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, you know, how do you get real, real leads? And then how do you really follow up with them? Um, and I like to, I like to provide a really personal service. I don't want to 
be like randomly shouting into the universe. I think being more personal and building your network is so important because then you draw the right customers in who are ready to buy from you. They they have trust because they've been connected to you through a network. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just makes that know, like, and trust a lot easier. No like, and trust is really hard to do on social media, but it's a lot easier to do in person. So mm-hmm. social media is one tool in a series of getting people to become your customer. But I always say it takes anywhere from six to 26 interactions with a, a business <laughs> to, you know, make them your customer. And you're laughing because I say this all the time, but I literally say this all the time, but it's the stuff people don't realize. It's like yep. your job is to create those six to 26 interactions. Mm-hmm. Part of that is social media and showing up consistently. Mm-hmm. Part of that is showing up in person. Part of that is sending them an email. Part of that is yep. their friends knowing and also recommending you. And and mm-hmm. it's all of these, it's part, it's your website, it's everything. So you have to have that full picture of like, what does a person need to actually buy from? Mm-hmm. No, and it's so true. And that wasn't actually why I was laughing. I think it's hilarious because the experts actually preach that seven to 10 interactions. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that has not been my personal experience <laughs> with my business. So it's nice to hear someone else is saying the same thing. Yeah. Um, and it is really hard to generate no like and trust on social media. It takes a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of strategy, which is a lot of what I help with. But it it's just your your post in a sea of faces mm-hmm. and it's hard to really pinpoint in on something unless you really know who you are and what it is that you're offering, which I find a lot of small businesses struggle with. I yeah. know I struggled with this. When I first started, I was like, I'm going to do everything. <laughs> and I was like, no, that's not practical. So then I scaled back to like Instagram and Facebook and a little bit of email marketing. And even that is still hard to do because it pulls me in so many directions at so many different times. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, the concept niche down can be so intimidating for entrepreneurs and, you know, it's hit and miss whether some people like it or not, but it can be beneficial in certain respects, especially for your focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was just listening to a podcast on my way to record this podcast <laughs> and they were talking about how you are the niche and it's like, it's so true. It's like, because it's people that want to work with you, right? That's who you're going to serve. And you're going to serve them super well. And that might be Instagram, that might be Facebook, that might be email, or that might be a combination. Mm-hmm. But I like it, it's really, it's about drawing the right people into you. And you'll figure out what how to serve them best once they're there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's what social media does, is it helps to build that relationship with those customers. Yep. Um, but social media is not everything. Social media is not nope. your business, truthfully. And and. And that six to 26 interactions, I, I give such a big range because like if you're selling widgets online, like say sunglasses for 10 bucks, yeah, you don't need that many interactions. If you have a need for the product, you'll buy it mm-hmm. and you have the means to buy it. Um, but for high end services like coaching or hiring a sort of a, a virtual assistant or somebody to support your business in that way is so personal. Mm-hmm. It's like hiring a therapist. I mean, we don't vet our therapists nearly enough, but that's a side <laughs> issue. <laughs> But, you know, I think it's like hiring a coach or hiring um, just anybody who you can trust and like let hand your business to. That is a really hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. So it's going to take closer to that 26 interactions to really for people to really feel confident and to have the resources to buy it. Mm-hmm, for sure. And as a, a social media expert, I say this with full confidence, knowing that this is OK for my business. But I have had like a grand total of one larger, excuse me, larger ticket 
client come from my social media efforts that I could see a direct correlation to. 99% of my clients come from some of the in-person activities that I do for my business. And it's supported by my social media. We meet Mm -hmm. and connect in person. They follow me online for a little while, see that I do know what I'm talking about. But having that face-to-face with people is really huge. So networking has been one of the really big successes for my business. And I know that it helps a lot of people. But, you know, aside from social media and networking, what are some other ways that you recommend small businesses get in front of those 500 people? Yeah, I think, you know, part of it is, and I think this is just the way our world is moving, is that it's all about community. Like people... And, and this kind of goes back to like how, like the word of mouth thing too. It's like, you know, with the co-working space, it's a very clear community. It's a membership. It's like you're mm-hmm. in and like you're part of it. Um, and I think this is true even of customers of like retail stores is that you have this sort of community around your business. Like it might be your customers, whatever that looks like for you. But those people like want to be part of something. They want mm-hmm. to be part of your success. So you got to make it easy for them to like do the word of mouth thing because word of mouth is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like really about how do you make those people feel special? How do you make them feel like they're part of a bigger momentum? I think that's to me really the value of like of creating a business that's going to be like long lasting and sustainable is making sure that those people are, you're creating value amongst each, each other because mm-hmm. um, that's really where the magic is. Mm-hmm. So it's really more about finding your people mm-hmm. and attracting them at mass. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and not even at mass because, again, like it doesn't take that many customers to mm-hmm. be wildly yeah. successful. So, you know, and, and just to put it in perspective, I, I kind of wrote down this thing that was like, if you have a thing that you sell, it's $100. Say you sell something that's $100. You need 1,000 customers to make $100,000. If you sell something that's $1,000, you only need 100 customers to make $100,000. Mm-hmm. And if you sell something that's $10,000, you only need 10 customers to make $100,000. So it's just, you know, really kind of keeps it in perspective too. It's like, you know, with Atrium, generally speaking, that business needs like less than 50 people in a year to, as customers, as members. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not focused on like attracting at mass. Mm-hmm. We're talking about 50 people here. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know what? And I know that like when the time is right, people will come and people will go when, when they've outgrown it mm-hmm. or when it's no longer serving them. Like, and that's okay. Like, but so I think the idea too of like at mass is also um, a bit of like Instagram's influence on us to be like bigger than larger than life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know for me, I just like want to stay, I just want my 50 people. That's it. <laughs> Good. I like that. Now cool. accepting members. I was going to say, <laughs> just to let you know. <laughs> so we've talked quite a lot about the planning piece. And one thing that I did want to note, if you are local to the community and you're looking for help with this planning piece, you can actually pick Elle's brain and by booking an appointment with her as an advisor at SBEC or some of her other colleagues on their team as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's small business centers across like Canada, North America, mm-hmm. no matter what community you're in. Um, these are usually publicly funded. And so they have great resources for you. And, you know, sometimes it's just the first step of reaching out. It's funny, like, because I listened to your pilot episode and I was like, oh my gosh, that was me. <laughs> like she reached out, you reached out to me for like, uh, just like a, hey, I'm interested in volunteering. And I was like, no, 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 honey, like just go start a business, make some real money. Um, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, that's pretty much how it went. <laughs> I do that to everybody. So you've been warned. If you come into my orbit, I will get you to start a business. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's like super interesting just to like see how your community and your network and reaching out even if it's just a small business advisor just to be like I don't know if I have an idea like 
it can be all the encouragement that you need to mm-hmm. like push into something totally new, open yourself up and, and getting the thing is, is like, it's really hard to grow being surrounded by the same people you've always been around who've kept mm. you small. So you have to get out. You have to like expand your network and you have to stop worrying about what your mom thinks. And you have to like, I know this cause it's true for me. It's true for everybody. And you know, you have to really surround yourself with people who get it. And that's part of the value of connecting. This kind of ties back to like connecting your customers together. It's like, they're all people who get it. So connect them. Like they mm-hmm. are a community, right? They are people who believe the same thing. And that's the thing about the atrium that's so beautiful is like, it's all these people who want something different. And here's a space where it is safe to be that person, that version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. And even with my role at the small business center, like just talking to people, sometimes I just know I'm the only person in their life telling them, like, yeah, you can do this. Mm-hmm. Heck yeah. Like, why not? Give it a try. See what happens. Yeah. <laughs> And that was a large piece of it for me too. Like I knew I had the education and I could do it. I just wasn't sure in myself and no disrespect to the people that love me and I still love them dearly, but they're always very concerned about playing it safe and making sure that, you know, we're going to make smart decisions for our family. And I totally get that. And I totally respect that. But I felt a lot of pressure not to do what I was called to do because they were concerned about me and it made me wonder whether I should be concerned about me. Mm. So having Al go, no, you should do this was the motivation that I needed to do something I should have done probably several years ago. (laughs) Well, and I think too, it's always like, what is a safe risk, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think, you know, for businesses, like especially service-based businesses like yours, like there wasn't a lot of startup costs, right? Like you Mm -hmm. could just start with what you had and if it didn't go anywhere, okay, whatever, no big deal, nothing venture, nothing gained. Mm -hmm. So I think it's also about like managing your risk tolerance and like, yeah, I don't recommend somebody's first business be like a half a million dollar startup, you know? I don't think that's a great idea and in fact, I'd talk you out of it because I'm an honest business advisor. But I think like, you know, you got to really be willing to test the, mm-hmm. the grounds, but you can also take safe risks. And so for me too, it's like, I started my first business I was in university. I got a little grant to start. I started, it failed. No big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, my second business, I started it with a bag of flour, my dining room table, started teaching bread making lessons, grew that business. That was one of my most profitable businesses. Then when I got the opportunity to buy this business, it came up. It was the first time I'd ever have to invest money into a business. But mm-hmm. at that time, it just, it totally made sense. And I had all the experience I needed. I was in the right position to take this on. Um, and I knew that it was going to be easy. Um, so I, I just, it was the right amount for me too. It wasn't too much. It wasn't a stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the key too, is like always be grounded in where you are. Because also if I took on a half a million dollars to buy the co-working space, I would just be sitting here like in full panic mode. Like I'd be in the fetal position rocking back and forth. <laughs> like... Like truly, like that, you know, that's not my risk tolerance. So I think it's like always managing and always, always planning from that place of like, here, this is where I am. Mm -hmm. Here I am. Here's where I want to be. And are the steps clear to get from here to there? Because if they're not, you're probably overstretching too. So find that that medium zone. It's like you have your comfort zone, then you have your stretch zone, and then you have your panic zone. (laughs) So... (laughs) For me, like the, buying the atrium was in that stretch zone. It was new. I'd never done brick and mortar. It was mm-hmm. the first time I had invested money, borrowed money. Um, but it was still very much like a safe option for me because I felt like, yeah, I've got this. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of it too. Mm-hmm. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think sometimes our dreams are too big. (laughs) I say this and I'm laughing because I know what I'm up to in the background and I just haven't shared it publicly with most of you yet, but it'll be coming soon. But you'll, you'll see that I'm very 
close to my stretch and or panic line. So we're still making some decisions here. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also want to just say though too, it's like, I think there's also some people who, I think simultaneously within all of us, we have this like desire to create something like way too big and also this desire to like play it safe Mm -hmm. and stay way too small, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's so interesting. It's such a delicate balance. And that's really where you're too, like I think, you know, that's the value of working with a business advisor is like, They'll tell you. If they're good, they'll tell you which one you're <laughs> closer to. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely there's people I encourage to be like, stretch, like go, like you've got this. You have nothing to lose. There's other people I'm like, whoa, buddy, <laughs> slow down before you sign that commercial lease. Why don't we like just put a few notes down on this napkin? Um, so yeah, definitely a mix. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. <laughs> so once you've done your thought through thing and you've talked to a business advisor, which for the record, I do encourage you to do, what comes next? Sales. You can't do anything without sales. So I think, um, you know, start with as little as you possibly can, like truly de-risk it for yourself. Like if you can, if there's some way to test out the market to prove that you have customers, that you will have um, sales, that you will have people even just interested, like whatever this might be. So this might be, you know, with my sourdough business, the way I tested that out was I had literally a bag of flour and I sold tickets to my dining room table and I taught a bread making class in my house and it sold out within like 24 hours and had a wait list of 200 people. So it was like, okay, risk, not high. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, and then that gave me all, everything I needed to like invest in more stuff for that business and really grow it and build mm-hmm. out the website. So I did all of that before I had anything. I just like posted it on Facebook and Eventbrite mm-hmm. and I charged like $25 for a class, like, <laughs> which is so super cheap. Um, yeah. And it was lovely. And, you know, and, and I, so I think as much as you can, like, what is the simplest version of this plan? How can you test it out in a super safe way? Mm-hmm. When I bought the business, I had their cash flows to look at. Like really dive in and be like, okay, what's really happening here? What do I really think I can do? Do I think this is going to work? Right. And I mean, they had done all the work to set it up. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was buying a decent, like, you know, <laughs> a few mm-hmm. years of learnings. Um, yeah. So I think that's the number one thing is like anything to start, anything small. If you can go sell your stuff at a farmer's market, if you can, you know, pop up here, if you can just, you know, send an email to people who love you and try to sell your service, your coaching, whatever it is you're doing, like mm-hmm. go get a customer because without a customer, you have no business. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? That's actually one thing I like to share too, is that when you're starting a business, we track business starts as part of our work through the Small Business Center. And $1 in sales, that's what it takes to start a business. That's what actually counts as business started is $1 in sales. So until you do that, you have a very nice, shiny, possibly expensive idea. <laughs> but, you know, $1 in sales. Like how can you get somebody to say yes with their money? Because if you can't do that, you don't have a real business. Mm. So that's kind of what I'm always like. How do you de-risk that? How do you get it started? Can you pre-sell something? Can you, mm-hmm. um, yeah, can you get some like an initial like, I don't know, sign that line <laughs> like, mm-hmm. before you even start um, so that it's de-risked for you. Yeah. And as someone that's a perfectionist, this was one of the things that <laughs> Elle was encouraging me to do when we first got started. She was like, okay, set your goals for three months. You know, when do you want to land your first client, work backwards and do all those things? And like, 
I was like, okay, well, I'll land my first client like at the end of the three months and I'm going to spend three months like setting up a website and doing all the backend pieces. She's sitting here <laughs> shaking her head at me. <laughs> um, and you know what? It was the push that I needed from her to go out and I actually pitched my services to yeah. a client like one month after I officially like started my business and I landed her as a client and I'm so grateful for that. I did not have a website and all of the things that I was worried about that I felt I needed to, you know, feel professional and be a business and air quotes didn't actually matter to literally anyone except me. Mm -hmm. And the concept of like pre-selling your business too is new for me, but something that we're looking at for things. So do you want to talk a little bit more about how that works? Yeah. Is that something people do frequently? I mean, there's lots of different ways to make this work, but if a business has a heavy startup, oftentimes they'll pre-sell like through Kickstarter or something like that. Like, so we've seen that with a lot of tech companies, um, famously like even high-end sneakers have been on there. Books have been on there. Cookbooks have been on there. Puzzles, board games, like all kinds of businesses. Uh, I think there was a lady who sold like high-end purse, custom purses or something. Anyway, there's a whole bunch of people, businesses that do this. But basically what they do is they say, okay, hey, we want to make this thing. It's going to cost us $50,000, $100,000. And we're going to sell you an like a product. But this product won't come until we have all the money and we've run all of our production. So you're taking a risk. So I bought a cookbook, for example. Um, and it's been two years. I'm still waiting on my cookbook. Um, but you know what it was? It was like we invested in that business before it started. So we basically gave them the funds to get started. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen this actually work with a spa in Ottawa. They pre-sold mm-hmm. annual memberships. Pfft, yeah. In another life, I wish I had enough money to okay. take them up on that because those were some darn good deals. And then you have this like fan base of amazing customers and you get your money up front to start your business. Mm-hmm. So really de-risks it from a customer perspective. If the if the Kickstarter fails, if you don't raise enough money to actually execute the project, then everybody gets their money back. So it's kind of this fun way to build that customer base, build that community around mm-hmm. your business before you've even like gone any further than that. (laughs) I was going to say the financial support sounds amazing, but really the marketing piece is huge because getting, you know, in front of your first 500 people is the hardest part. And if you can do that and have their buy-in before you even like open your doors, fantastic. Yeah. And that's just it. So it's really about thinking, like building that community and knowing that you're going to have that customer base before you spend the money to build the amazing shiny thing that's going to make people want to come. So As a small business advisor, what is one question that you get asked the most by entrepreneurs when they come to you? Oh, the number one thing people call us for is grants. (laughs) And I'd like, there really aren't a lot of grants out there. There's grants for, I think, students, young people. Um, But it's, it's it's a tough business out there. And then I think the other thing people want is like money to start their business, which is really hard because most businesses are funded by the, the entrepreneur's personal funding mm-hmm. credit, basically, um, or their own investment into the business. So, um, yeah, like I would say like 95% of small business lending is based on your personal sort of financial situation, which is really sad, but it's true. And so people think it's like, I think people come to me sometimes and they're like, oh, I'm going to buy this farm to start, I don't know, a business on my farm. And... I'm like, unless you have the means already to buy that farm, 
you're not going to get any like loans, especially because you're starting business because businesses are money eating monsters. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so it's going to cost you money to start that business. It's not going to like start like rolling in the dough as soon as you buy that farm. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's not how it works. That's not how farming works for sure, but that's not how any business works. So I think that's the number one hurdle is like people have this idea that like businesses are going to just roll in the dough and, and it's just really not true. Um, So I think it's, again, about that, like, risk tolerance. Like, what are you personally willing to risk? Mm -hmm. um, And how do you manage that? And then how do you also, like, make smart decisions? So, you know, when I bought my business, I I paid for half up front. Well, kind of two-thirds up front. And then I had – I borrowed a little bit of money, a third for my parents on a no-interest loan. But also I knew that, like – in case anything went wrong, I, I had good credit, so I, I took out a $20,000 line of credit just to have access to. It had a low fixed interest rate, and I was like, okay, so these are my smart decisions. I haven't had to touch that line of credit, mm-hmm. and I'm really grateful that I had access to family who was willing to lend me the money. Um, I needed to do this, and um, but I think that's kind of how you kind of play it safe and how you kind of make it work. It has to make mm-hmm. sense in your means. Um because, you know, I think everybody has this perception that I'm rolling in it. But one of the things people don't realize is that I bought a business with a $60,000 a year liability attached to it. Like a, a, mm. a debt that I have to pay. Mm. I have to pay this debt for the next three years. is like my commercial lease. Mm-hmm. It is it is like crazy thing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> to pay that much money every month. To, not 60000 a month. But, you know, 60000 over a year to, to just... I have to do that regardless of what happens with the business. Mm-hmm. I am on the line for that money. So as much as people think of it as like this money coming in thing, it's also an obligation to show up and to continue to hustle and to continue to make that money that covers that $60,000 mm-hmm. a year for the next year, mm-hmm. three years. So, Wow. those Yeah, that seems like a huge number. But you know, commercial, <laughs> commercial leases are expensive, so I'm learning. Um, so when entrepreneurs are trying to figure out you know, financial viability, I guess, is kind of the word for it. When can they start to expect to be like rolling in it? What is the life cycle? And I know every business is different, but like in general, are businesses relatively profitable in their first year? Is it more like year two, year three? Mm-hmm. Good question. Uh, I think it, it's, I'm going to kind of separate businesses into two categories. One is going to be like brick and mortar and one is going to be not brick and mortar. Okay. <laughs> so brick and mortar meaning like you have a retail sort of commercial lease, a, mm-hmm. a store presence. And then um, non-brick and mortar meaning you're like sort of an online business or you're sort of a coaching service-based business where you don't mm-hmm. really have that overhead cost. Um, so service-based businesses, I say it takes anywhere from three to six months to really get going. And I remember you also struggling with this at the beginning. There's like, you have to be willing to like it's going to suck. It's gonna, you're going to feel like so rejected for those first three to six months. and and But you have to be consistent. There's no mm-hmm. other way through it. You have to just keep putting it out there. You have to keep putting those 500 people into that funnel and like letting it distill down because I think um, – and it takes time to do that. Like it takes a long time. It takes time to build up your social medias, to get mm-hmm. your SEO working on your website for you and like all of these things. So I would say three to six months for – non-brick-and-mortar businesses. And then for brick-and-mortar businesses, it's a tough game. No, it's a tough game. It's, you know, and I I have this really terrible habit of saying that, like, you know, everybody's busy and nobody's making money. And who I'm really talking about there is, like, our brick-and-mortar businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, The the overhead cost is so high. Mm. And people, I think, make this plan to break even. But they don't make a plan to, like, be freaking rich. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they don't even make a plan to, like, work themselves out of the storefront. 
Mm. Right? Like they don't have a plan to like actually have enough money flowing through through their business that they can step away, that they can take a break, that they Mm -hmm. can work on other things that need to happen behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So with brick and mortar, I would say like it probably takes closer to three years to become profitable. Um, That's obviously like a shot in the dark. Like every business is different. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I would say like probably not in your first year. Definitely not in your first year. And like if you have a really good lean business and kind of low overhead, then I would say maybe in your second year. But I would say, you know, and and maybe I'll just share too, like the Atrium is a business that I bought that was very much breaking even. So Mm -hmm. um, even like it had four or five years of previous experience. And yeah, that was a lot of that was COVID. And of course that like impacts Mm -hmm. the business Mm -hmm. in a big way. But I think like it takes a long time for businesses to actually be profitable. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that just kind of keeps it in perspective. It's like even this business that I paid money for Mm -hmm. wasn't really making a profit. Um, but I did see the potential in getting it there. Right. That doesn't mean I can make that happen overnight. <laughs> so currently oh, it's going to be wish. at least a year. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's at fair. least a year. And that's an existing business. Yeah. So in situations like that, do you recommend that entrepreneurs wait a little bit longer to kind of generate a little bit more like capital before they invest in something like this? So they're not as you know money tight every month, or do you kind of just say, I mean, never dive in <laughs> without navigating the risk of it but yeah never dive in without navigating the risk but but i would say like that's where the pre-sales come in right or sort of having having some sort of assurance from customers um is going to be the key and then every bank that's going to lend you any money is going to want to see that you have some personal skin in the game too so you do need to it's kind of like the down payment on a house Mm -hmm. is you you can't avoid that you have to like put some money in Mm -hmm. the bank's not just going to give it to you so um it's very similar with business loans Okay. There you go. So if you're looking to start a business, then those are some of the things we recommend. And uh, you mentioned earlier about your failure in mm-hmm. your first business. So I do want to circle back to that because I think there's a little bit more of a story there. Mm, yeah. So I did the summer company program, which is funny because now it's a program that I run. And I started a food waste recovery business. And it was it, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to like sell a marketing campaign to these businesses. And no, turns out food businesses have a really hard time paying their own bills, <laughs> let alone paying for some like nice to have uh, food recovery program. Um, so the revenue model was never there, um, which is why the business sort of quote unquote failed from a financial perspective. But, mm-hmm. you know, it was really interesting because in the matter of a very short period of time, we redistributed over 8,000 pounds of food Wow! and proved that there was a need, that there was all this food that was good and that was being wasted and it was mostly fresh produce. Um, and so it sort of failed. And it was this big feel-good project, right? And I got a lot of publicity, a lot of media attention. I was in school at the time, so the university was really like – cranking up the like story piece behind that. Um, And so I had all of this attention on this business, on this project that I was starting. And then I was like, this isn't going to work. This isn't isn't viable. This can't continue. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm going to just burn out. Like this, this isn't going to help anyone if I start something and then stop it. Right. Right. So um, I held that weight really heavy, but then I also had this like amazing community of like people who wanted to be a part of it wanted to support it. And the thing is, is like, you know, I, I really got to own the story of shutting that down. And that was really powerful for me at the time. Like, even though the business, quote unquote, failed, um, I got to really own the, like, story about, like, you know, we can't just come in and, like, start things and stop them and and that there is a need for this program. Um, and the result of that ended up being that the Waterloo Region Food Bank took on 
this sort of fresh food recovery program. They ended up getting like three years funding, $350,000 to start a fresh food recovery program because they couldn't take the risk of trying. Whereas mm-hmm. I could as like this young, whatever, like <laughs> dumpster diving kid <laughs> who like was like, we got to do something about this. Um, I could take that risk. So I did it and I proved that there is lots of food here. Mm-hmm. And then they could go on and say, hey. To use your results. Exactly. So it was like the safe way I could pilot it safely and not fail. Um, and they could take that and also take it further. So it was a really interesting moment, but it was really hard when I had to tell people, like, I'm not doing this anymore because there was just so much community support for it. Um, and I just felt like I'd built a really strong network around it. But I think owning that story, owning the story around why it was closing was so mm-hmm. important to my continued su- success because it's really easy to just be like, I'm just going to fade into the background now. <laughs> um, you know, but stepping forward and saying like, no, this is why, this is what we learned, this is this is what's next, mm-hmm. um, I think was really, really powerful. So yeah, it doesn't have to be a failure. No, exactly. It was a learning opportunity for you and for the city of Waterloo. And it sounds like it kind of did have a positive outcome because the mission that you started with was carried on, just mm-hmm. not by you. Yeah, exactly. And I always say that too. It's like, it felt like it didn't make it feel any less of like a personal failure, but you know, but it really, in the scheme of things, I think that's the power of entrepreneurship is like, you get to take an idea mm-hmm. and just create it. Like just, you can, you can turn anything in your head into something in real life and like, wow, mm-hmm. wow. <laughs> That was my like introduction to entrepreneurship and why I've never stopped since. So mm-hmm. it it's yeah, it's kind of addictive. I'm not gonna lie. Once you start it, you you always run into these people and they're like, Yeah, I'm serial entrepreneurs, you know, I've had like six businesses and then you start mm-hmm. your own and you're like I get it. I get it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and it's not like tattoos. Like I got one tattoo when I was 18 and everybody's like, oh, you're going to be addicted. No, no, no. <laughs> but like small business. Yeah. 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 For sure. There's something that's just so empowering by seeing an idea turn into something amazing for yourself and for the community that you're involved in. And serving. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And that's, that's it. That's a hundred percent of why I do it. Why I wake up every day. It feels so motivating and it feels freeing too. Like I always say there are many right ways to run your business. So you get to choose what works for you. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, I mean, I could do Instagram better for sure, but that's not how I want to run the business. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you get to choose how you want to do it. Um, so long as it makes money. <laughs> yes. I mean, that is important if you have financial <laughs> obligations. Money really greases the wheels. <laughs> it does. Uh, so I wanted to ask one more question here. So as an entrepreneur, your life becomes your business and your business becomes your life in so many ways. So, but at the same time, you do also need to keep them separate or you're going to reach that burnout phase super fast. So what are your best tips for balancing the two? Oh my God, that is such a good question. Cause it's, you're so right. It becomes this extension. It's like this extra limb you grew and you're like, mm-hmm. anything that happens to it is like hurts. Like, you know, if you would cut your arm off or something like <laughs> Um, it's so personal. Um, how do I manage it? So I would say this business that I'm in right now, the co-working space is the one I've had the most sort of balance with, partly because it's a physical space. Mm -hmm. So I'm there or I'm not there. And that really, that boundary really helps a lot. Um, but it doesn't mean I don't like worry at night and be like, is the door locked? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> right? Like, oh, uh, did somebody turn up the heat or turn on, turn on the fan or like, you know, mm-hmm. oh, the kettle needs to be cleaned. Oh, the plants forgot to water those. Like, so it's not that I'm not worrying all the time. <laughs> um, but I think balance and like separation really matter. And then having things outside of your business that stay consistent. It's kind of like same advice I'd give a friend who's starting a relationship, right? It's like, yeah, like if you fall off the face of the earth into your relationship, whether that be with a person or a business, like you got to maintain what you already had going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really value like my community around my business, but I also really value my community outside of my business mm-hmm. too. Um, so I have a lot of friends who are entrepreneurs that aren't in the region where I'm serving and I make a point of like staying connected. And like you were saying earlier, connecting with people in your industry, Mm -hmm. those things go a long way because those people get you. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also just like make time for family and and do your best to sort of keep those boundaries and and whatever feels really urgent probably isn't that (laughs) urgent. Um, I have this like game that I play where I like put off spending money on my business. I'm like, how long can I wait before I actually have to spend that money? Um, That sounds familiar from a book I read. I know. (laughs) Everybody should read Profit First. Um, But, you know, it's true. It's like this idea of like, okay, well, like maybe I don't really need it. Like maybe I don't really Mm -hmm. need to be doing this thing right now. Um, And what else could I be doing with my time, right? Mm -hmm. And then having real rest, like deep rest. That's my thing is like I – will go home for like three days in a row and I will like lay in my sweatpants slash robe and like just like totally be horizontal and like not do anything, not see anybody um, Mm -hmm. because I have a really social job. So um, it works. So yeah, so that's kind of what works for me. Um, But it's taken a long time to get to that place too. And I think that's really good advice too. I was actually just saying to Elle before we started recording today, we were talking about facilitating webinars and workshops and I feel so emotionally drained afterwards. Like I love it. It's, Mm -hmm. it's thrilling and it's great. And you know, I get so much personal value out of it too, in in addition to what I'm giving to people, but it's very draining to be like that on for such an extended period of time. So one thing that I'm going to do for my business is I'm going to start blocking my calendar off after webinars and workshops so that I can take the evening to just like relax and recuperate because it is draining. Mm -hmm. And along the lines of what you were saying too, about balancing the two and keeping your existing units outside when you start something new is really huge. So I know I personally struggled with this. Um, my job that I left ended up leaving. Um, I was just so involved in it, like emotionally and physically I was attached Mm -hmm. to the mission of the business. And, you know, even when I was home, I was still thinking about it and sending emails. And then I went on maternity leave and I basically tried to cut myself off from the business, my job. And, you know, it was good. I needed to take that break to spend time with my, my daughter, but I, had such a huge identity crisis because Mm -hmm. it was who I was. I was my job. Mm -hmm. And it took me a really long time to kind of recover who I was outside of work. And it was a huge struggle. So if you can go into a new endeavor, like starting a business, or like you said, a relationship or motherhood, Mm -hmm. you need to maintain pieces of yourself. Otherwise you will go through the same identity crisis that I did. Try and keep your hobbies or take a hobby. And if it's, you know, inconvenient, were too expensive now that you have additional financial obligations, you know, try and find a different version of it. If you used to go to the gym five days a week, you know, go for a walk with a stroller or do a mm-hmm. home workout or something along those lines, but you need to keep those pieces for your own mental health. Yeah. And, and, and even you can, it's okay if like you've let go of some things that are no mm-hmm. longer serving you like a job or a relationship or whatever. Um, but add in things that bring you value that are not connected to your business too, because mm-hmm. that, that is really the key there. And, and for me, I've had a lot of like separation and physical space between my business, which is um, also helpful. (laughs) Um, But yeah, 
it, it yeah, you got to re- it's an intentional choice to carve it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with my business now, I every there's always one week a month where I don't go in person. Um, and you know what? Nice. If I don't go in person for a whole week, still works. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't also make myself this essential person like that I am the only way my business works. Mm-hmm. There are people who've got it. There are members who've got it and there are people who want to help. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, like I get to lean on that too. It's a choice to not be this like everything that I do matters so much. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of motherhood. I remember when I had Talia, I was like, I cannot leave this tiny human. She depends <laughs> yeah. on me and yeah. no one else can give her what she needs. And yeah. then, you know, now I've had a third one and I spent a night in Windsor and Rhett was like three weeks old. And I was like, that's cool. My mom's got this. Everything's good. But I was like, it took a long time to get to that point. And I think the same thing is true for business. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. it takes time to get there. So give yourself some grace if you're not there yet. But <laughs> also make a habit to like build that in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it was absolutely fantastic having you on today, Elle. And I hope that you guys that are listening really learned a lot about starting a business and just in general, some healthy habits you can implement if you have one already. So where can they learn more about you or connect with you if they want some additional support or are interested in checking out co-working? For sure. So you can follow me personally on Instagram at TheLChef. Um, and you can also follow my business, the co-working space called The Atrium at Work at The Atrium. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, lastly, if you're looking for a small business center, definitely reach out. There is a network of small business centers in Ontario. Um, in St. Thomas, uh, we have the Small Business Enterprise Center. Um, so you can also reach us through specinnovation.ca. No, dot com. I'll double check. <laughs> You can find her on Instagram and she'll send you the right link. Yes. (laughs) And if you found something valuable in our episode today, we'd love to have you share a piece of your, a piece of the episode or just your key takeaway and make sure you tag us so that we can see what really resonated with you. So thank you guys so much for listening and we hope you have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning in to Go Get Great. I hope you found some useful tips and tricks that can help you make life and business work together. If what I said resonates with you, please share it on social media and don't forget to tag at Brittany Miller Socials so that I can celebrate you for taking those first steps towards achieving greatness. Remember, success doesn't happen overnight. It takes dedication, hard work, and a lot of spirit. So don't be afraid to dream big and go after what you want. Keep striving for greatness. You get closer with every step forward, no matter how small they may seem. Until next time, go get great.